Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 147 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I am your co-host, Russ, K5TUX, uh, broadcasting from the finally green rolling foothills of southwestern Missouri. And with me tonight is Pete, V2XPL, from the rolling one hill of Montreal. Good day, eh? Yeah, it's a hill. <laughs> yeah. A small one. It's a hill. It's, it's the, like it. the real mountain, the Real Mont. So, Mont Montreal, all of 426 feet of it. Yep, where there's always drummers at the bottom. So, there, Well, no, that's only on Sundays. Oh, that's only on Sundays. I must have been there on a Sunday. So, And, and only after about you know 11 a.m. because people with no jobs aren't up that early. <laughs> Alrighty then, and then we also have uh, Cheryl, who's sitting across from me tonight. Hello. Hello, good evening everyone. Alright, so we're all here, we're all back again, and we're going to actually talk about some amateur radio topics, some Linux topics, some Linux for amateur radio topics, and then we're all going to go home and have a wonderful evening. We're already home. Well, the rest of you are all going to go home and have a wonderful evening. Except for those of you who already are home, having a wonderful evening. Right, exactly. Everyone have a wonderful (laughs) evening. Whether it's this is the daytime you're listening to us or the evening you're listening to us. If it's after evening, just have a wonderful evening tomorrow. Cheryl did a lot of the work for the show tonight because I was busy with other things. So do you actually want to read some of these stories or do you just want to like claim that you found them all and we do the work? Uh, it's up to you. I don't care. All right. Go well, ahead. Yeah, go ahead and do the first one. Let's do that. I'll, I'll have to admit that I did nothing this week. I know. Shame on you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. We know. We're watching you. I was in my office going, okay, I found stuff. Check it out. Make sure it's okay. And he's like, sure, it looks great. He even let me pick out the music this week. That's right. It was wow. amazing. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's, they, well, that oh, was the thing. Let's I was do like, that now. Let's do that now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope, sorry. No format change. We'll get to it. Uh, yeah. Well, he told yeah. me he really didn't like it, but he didn't have time to find anything else. So oh, I'll like it then. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, our first story tonight is W5KUB.com ham radio webcast expands to shortwave radio. Cool. Tom Medlin, W5KUB, has expanded his Tuesday night amateur radio roundtable video webcast on W5KUB.com to include simulcasting on shortwave radio over station WTWW on 9930 kHz. WTWW is a 100-kilowatt international broadcaster located in Lebanon, Tennessee. As of April 7th, it began carrying the audio of the W5KUB webcast on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central in the U.S., which is 0100 UTC on Wednesday. Shortwave listeners have the option to go to W5KUB.com and join in on the video webcast and the chat room. Uh, since many hams got their start in shortwave listening, Tom plans to add a shortwave segment to the show. To watch the amateur roundtable, go, go to W5KUB.com and click on live events. To use the chat room, use your pre-registered username and password. If you don't have one, just enter your caller name, leave the password blank, and click sign in. 
Those listening on WTWW are asked to give their location and signal report if they sign into the chat. All right, and as everyone knows who listens to this show, I was recently on the W5KUB webcast. So uh, that's a pretty cool show. Tom does a, a great thing. He has lots of good guests on his show, and now he's broadcasting all over the world on 9 megahertz shortwave. If that's the one way you can listen to it, you should do that. And uh, the story, by the way, came from the, uh, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Amateur Radio Newsline. Hey, it's amazing how that works. Mm-hmm. They're going to start like charging us for doing this stuff, I think. I don't think so. Yeah, they you don't think us. so? Okay. I don't know. Do they? Have we ever heard from the Amateur Radio Newsline? Not that, Not that I but know. But they yeah. love us. Yeah, okay. They love us. Great. Who doesn't love us? Come Who on. doesn't right. love us? That's right. Well, I know one person. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, didn't we play something about <laughs> that? that. Yeah, except- Let's not get into that again. It's all last season. <laughs> all my but, sound uh, clips no, are gone. Amateur so. Radio Newsline, um, because they're a uh, community service-oriented outfit, um, you know, they, they love people talking about them so um they'd be more than happy but you know we should perhaps uh tell them that we quite often get uh, our news from their website and see what they say maybe they'd actually come on for an interview or something cool yeah, we should probably do that yeah and by the way amateur radio newsline well you could easily google it but it's at www.arnewsline.org and they do stuff every week so. Right, and just just for uh, future easy figuring uh the, the next two stories are also from the amateur radio newsline different weeks so Oh, different weeks. So I see. So we're just compiling their news for them. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. So this next one is uh, Art Bell. Whiskey 6, Oscar Bravo Bravo, returns to internet radio. And Art Bell, uh, for those who don't know, is a famed uh, radio personality who's into, like, paranormal stuff and and, uh, things along those lines. And uh, Yeah, no, Art Bell, I used to listen to his show. He was uh, in cahoots with another guy whose name escapes me right now. What's his, the other guy's name? I don't know the Art other guy's Bell, name. And I'm going to Google it because yeah. uh, their show is uh, – if you're into the whole paranormal thing, even if you're not actually because I'm not really, but the show is really entertaining and it's actually well done. And when I first started listening to it, I you know kind of figured these guys were all flakes. But then they get into some flaky stuff, but then they get into stuff that could be feasible and it's uh, – I don't know. It's it's really interesting for for those right who are curious about those kinds of things. Coast to coast, coast to coast. AM is the show. Yeah, and I have I stopped listening to Art Bell a long time ago. I used to listen to him on like late night AM radio and stuff like that. But uh, it's been a while since I've listened to any Art Bell, and I kind of gather from the story he's been away from radio for some time. It goes like this. Uh, Art- well, that's why this other guy, Art Bell. Uh, sorry, I was going to say that. Uh, Art Bell was away. George Nori is the other guy. Oh, George who, uh, Nori, took yes. Took over for Art Bell while Art was away. Right. I remember that name now. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. Oh, no problem. So anyway, the story goes, Art Bell, Whiskey 6, Oscar, Bravo, Bravo, has announced via Facebook and his website that he'll be back on the internet airwaves this summer. According to Bell, his new show is called Midnight in the Desert and will premiere in late July. Bell says that Midnight in the Desert will run from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. Pacific time, Monday through Friday and that it will be available worldwide on the internet in 64 kilobit per second stereo via TuneIn. Uh, he says that TuneIn has a free app available for download, and for updates on Art's new show, you might want to visit his website at artbell.com or sign up for his page over on Facebook. And everyone's on Facebook, right? No. So Almost. Well, Almost you, everyone. Uh, do your podcast or show, whatever it may be, 
via an app that you can download for free, why wouldn't you just in an MP3 format or AUG or whatever else and well, just make it easy for everyone? Our our show is available via Stitcher, and Stitcher Radio is an app that's available for download from various uh, app stores. But it's also available on MP3 for someone who doesn't want to download anything. Right, that's true. Aug or in AUG yeah. format. Yeah. yeah, and it's probably available that way on artbell.com, but this article doesn't say that. So. Well, the article should. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't, and there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. That, uh, nothing, so that's going to be my... No, before in the you... chat room, it says, tune in is for live. Tune in is for... Oh, for live. Gotcha. Okay, so tune in is where you listen to it live, but it's probably available for download later. Later on, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny, because we do that same sort of uh, thing, but you have you. to... Well, we thank you. Yeah, yeah, all right. That we, makes sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we broadcast live too but we have our own streaming server we don't use tune in or anything hokey like that <laughs> so we would no, be caught you're, doing that you're a real geek <laughs> that's right yeah. I'm, I'm a super nerd like uh, w stern's in the chat room ne4rd is his call nerd. sign yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sure he'll be happy to hear you say that so. <laughs> that's from the simpsons yeah all right, Pete, there's one more story in this segment, so you read it. Free 5 megahertz newsletter now available. Really? That's cool. Uh, the latest edition of the 5 megahertz newsletter is now available for free download. Uh, this copy features 5 megahertz news from the Czech Republic, the UK, from Uruguay, South Africa, and Australia. Also included is the official International Telecommunications Union, or ITU, agenda booklet for the 2015 World Administrative Radio Conference and an article on the HB9AW Receiver Project. That sounds interesting, actually. You can find it in PDF format at tinyurl.com slash q7uqrqw which really isn't that tiny when you think about it. Um, <laughs> it's probably tinier than the actual URL. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. That's tinyurl.com slash q7uqrqw. Five megahertz newsletter. Actually, I've never checked out this newsletter. I'm going to go check that out. I have not either, and I have not done a lot of work on five megahertz either, except in the uh, wireless no. spectrum for computers. So we'll quickly move on to our open source segment for the evening. And the first story we have in there is Gwake 0.7.0 released. It's a drop-down terminal for GNOME desktops. A Gwake is a drop-down terminal for the GNOME environment, written from scratch mostly in Python, with a little bit of C thrown in for good measure. It's released under the GPL v2 Plus and is available for Linux and like systems. Uh, Quake is inspired by the console and computer game Quake, uh, which is getting rather aged now. Uh, it slides down from the top of your screen by pressing a special key. Uh, the default key for that is F12, and then slides up when the same key is pressed. And that story actually comes from Linux Today, which is at www.linuxtoday.com, and the link to that story will be in the show notes. Um, I had heard of Gwake a little while back, but I had never tried it. So I tried it today, and it's actually kind of cool. It just kind of sits in the background, and, and when you press F12 or a configured key of your choice, it will basically create a terminal window in the top half of your screen, which you can configure to be on top of all of your other windows, 
or have it go into the background when it loses focus, or you can just hit F12 again and it goes away. But it basically gives you instantaneous access to the command line via a terminal interface, no matter where you are on your desktop. The only thing I didn't particularly like about it is that a terminal is typically 80 columns wide, or perhaps 132 columns wide, depending on the type of terminal you're using. The Quake application basically takes the entire top of your desktop, no matter how wide it is. But if you just need quick access to do, you know, to run a bash script or something like that, having having Quake running in the background, hitting F12, doing whatever you need, and then hitting F12 again just to get rid of it is a is a great little application. And uh, if that's the kind of thing you need for your environment, I definitely recommend checking out Quake. It's very cool. So is that the advantage? Is that it's just a really quick access to the terminal? Yeah, and you don't actually have to have a terminal, a regular terminal app running because it just sits in the background waiting for your, that you know default key press. And then as but soon as you hit it, it pops it up. Is it running, though? It is running. It's but running it's, in the background. It is running in the background, but all it's doing in the background is waiting for the key press. It doesn't actually have a terminal open. It doesn't do that until okay, you so actually press the key, and then it opens it up. So it's very lightweight, and uh, it gives you super quick access. And it actually allows for a pretty cool desktop integration because in its default form, the background is transparent. So when you, so when the Quake terminal pops up, it actually looks like a terminal just laid over your root window. Uh, so it looks like you're actually typing on your wallpaper. It's kind of cool. So, you know, just check it out. It's... It was in the Debian repos, and I'm sure it's in lots of repos for other distributions, too. So it was, it was just a fun little thing to try, and I, I think I'm actually going to just keep it running in the background and use it from time to time, even though I usually have terminal windows open all the time. Uh, but just to jump to one in and out uh, might still prove useful. All right, well, then we're going to move on to the next one. We'll let you go ahead and read this one, Pete. Powerful $9 mini PC is making a killing on Kickstarter. $9 mini PC. I mean, that's more bang for your buck than you could get from uh, even the Raspberry Pi. Project has already surpassed the goal tenfold. Chip the new $9 or 8 euro mini PC that runs Linux, and that has some incredible hardware specs, is making a killing on Kickstarter. Uh, The new Kickstarter campaign was launched uh, for a small chip mini PC. The response from the community was over the top. Its first device, it's... It's the first device of its kind uh, that arrives at this price. Yeah, I can believe that, eh? And its makers are making are surely surprised at the sheer amount of support that they've received. And this is really easy to understand because, you know, ham radio people and most techie people are always looking for the best bang for their buck because technology is so expensive. So how could you not even want to try something that's only nine bucks? What do you have to lose? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so they initially asked uh, for just uh, $50,000, uh, 45,000 euros, uh, but in just a few days, they managed to raise more than $550,000. Uh, they still have 25 days left in the campaign. Uh, we have already written about this new mini PC in detail, but many people look at it as the Raspberry Pi killer. Yeah, and at a quarter of the cost. I mean, I could believe that. Uh, that would be an unfair assessment as they are pretty different mini PCs. They can perform similar basic functions as a regular PC, but Raspberry Pi is developed to interact with numerous other components and has the connections to do it. In any case, both, both Chip and Raspberry Pi 2 have their market. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where this miniaturization race is going. 
The only problem that has been noticed by the community is the fact that the international shipping seems to be a little bit too much. But the team behind the project is trying to bring the pricing down. And I can imagine that international shipping is probably more expensive than the uh, the actual the computer. Itself. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. When you start getting into nine dollar computers, yeah, you're going to probably find shipping problems because they're probably coming straight out of China or something like that. So they well, one thing I read about it was the fact that because it's a Kickstarter program, they they kind of did like we did with the Linux going to you know Hamvention thing, where if you give them twenty bucks, you get X thing plus plus this. But they were going to send out perks and then send out, I guess, the computer. And the ship, you know, apparently it was going to be two separate segments of shipping. And apparently everybody's like, no, 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 no. Just throw all of the stuff in the same box. We don't care when we get it. <laughs> so, yeah. because apparently the shipping was just going to be outrageous. Because so. we can't afford a $9 computer. My God. <laughs> Did they talk about um, specific applications in the article? Did you guys read? Or I'm kind of looking No, I, right yeah, I, really I read the article and uh, that there was no. Talk about uh-uh. No, the article doesn't get into the specifics. Kind of stuff that you could run yeah, and I didn't go over to the Kickstarter to see either. So it does sound interesting, and I probably will run over to the Kickstarter because if like you can put in your ten bucks or whatever as a backer and get one of these things, it seems like it's worth it. One gigahertz, five hundred twelve megs of DD three DDI three RAM, powerful enough to run real software. Well, that's a good thing in a computer. <laughs> yeah, because that fake software is just... Badger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't want to run that fake software. And they say it's also mobile. Well, I would assume it's mobile since it's very small. Well, it's battery-operated. Battery can power the device for hours. There's not a lot of specifics about it, but it does sound like a very cool project. And I'm, I'm personally going to go check out the Kickstarter because it seems like one of those things you can get in for cheap and you know wind up with a cool new piece of hardware out of it. Yeah. Well, they claim you can put a monitor, keyboard, mouse, uh, Wi-Fi function, Bluetooth controllers. All kinds of groovy techno stuff, you know? And they even, like, stick stuff, they even stuff, because I almost said the other word. Wi-Fi <laughs> and Bluetooth um, are not on the Raspberry Pi right now, so, you know, they claim that that's going to be a little bit of a boost for them. Yeah, that would be cool. So, yeah, that sounds uh, kind of promising. But, of course, the Raspberry Pi has USB, which means it does support right. Bluetooth with uh, associated adapters and so yeah, forth. Yeah, that's true. And, of course, the Raspberry Pi 2 actually comes with four built-in USB ports, so you can run almost anything off of it. Uh, you could uh, stick this, uh, of course, the keyboard, mouse, and monitor might not fit in your pocket, but the computer will. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they invent those roll-up monitors and those those get to be the part, you know, where you can carry those along for 50 bucks or whatever, then you'll even have those in your pocket. Well, you already have the roll-up keyboards, right? So we're already halfway there. Well, they're already working on the roll-up monitors. I just don't think they're ready for prime time yet. And yeah, how you could exactly just, uh... do they stand up? How exactly do they stand up? Or do they stand they, up? They don't. They just lay them on your desktop okay, or, gotcha. or lean them up against a, something or whatever. Gotcha. They're, they're just exploring the technology right now. They're not exactly trying to sell a bunch of uh, you know paper-thin uh, floppy monitors yet. No, that's not like even the roll-up keyboards are, you know, kind of rampant out there either. It's more of a gadgety thing, you know. Well, they have those keyboards and... that aren't even keyboards. They're basically just like a laser uh, yeah, pro- projection, that. which is kind of cool. And they just uh, monitor your key, your movement of your fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are kind of cool. Yeah, too. those are cool. Absolutely. I so, don't have one. Yeah, I don't have one of those either. 
<laughs> All right. Last story in the uh, in the world of Linux for t- for this episode is Laka, a Linux US that turns any PC into a retro game console. Oh, a cool. Linux US? Did I say US? Yes, you did. Okay. Laka, a Linux OS that turns any PC into a retro game console. Clearly, I have not had enough to drink. Uh, according to the Laka official website, it is a lightweight distribution of GNU Linux that was designed to transform any computer into a DIY full-blown retro game console. Laka is derived from the well-known OpenELEC operating system, being built on top of the well-known RetroArch retro game emulator tool. The Laka Linux distribution is capable of emulating a wide variety of hardware. Additionally, it includes attractive features like video streaming, joypad hot plug, and braid-like rewinding. It runs on numerous computer boards, and it's easy to set up and use. Uh, and runs on numerous computer boards, including PCs, Raspberry Pi, Qbox i, Hummingboard, Banana Pi, QB Board, and QB Truck. Support for Raspberry Pi 2 and Odroid C1 computer boards will come very soon. In addition, Laka supports PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 controllers. To get started, you can download Laka from its website by selecting operating system you're currently using and the hardware on which you want to install it. Laka will be available for download for free as compressed image files that you need to install on an SD card. Detailed instructions will be provided on the download page. Game ROMs can be put in the SD card as well after installing an operating system. ARM 32-bit and 64-bit hardware architectures are supported at this time. It's open source means you can start hacking at source code that is hosted on GitHub. That actually came from softpedia.com, and that sounds very cool to me. I started to look at it just before the show, and I saw that it emulated things like the Nintendo Entertainment System and things like that, but I wasn't clear if it did uh, MAME-style games. Did you look to see if it did I, that? I had a few seconds to look. It looks like it just does... Game consoles. Game console stuff, because it's, you know, it mentions stuff like Game Boys and things right. like that. Right, Game so. Boys and, uh, like, Game Cubes, NES, uh, Playstations, things along those lines. Right. But that's pretty cool if you like to play those types of games and you want to have something on an embedded device. Uh, support for Raspberry Pi and other single board computers is built in. Kind of cool for the gamers out there. Yep, Super Mario You, you don't want to keep a bunch of old legacy consoles around. So. Like us. Yeah, like us. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome, though. I, think, I mean, hours of fun spent at the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where most gaming gets done, I'm quite sure. <laughs> yeah. The wheels are turning. That's right. All right, so anyway, we're on to Linux in the Ham Shack. Yay! Yay! Yay. So uh, we got a couple of stories here. We'll let uh, Cheryl do the first one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So the first story is Smart SDR API for Flex Radio is available. Flex Radio has released several APIs for their software-defined radios. Their APIs for .NET developers, Object C Apple developers, and now one for Linux. An email to Flex Radio is all that's required to get access to the software, and you can sign up for their developer program through the website. Flex Radio systems are based on a TCP IP stack, so ostensibly. Now who's been drinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, now I I started drinking before you did. You did? Yeah. I didn't know that. There's Bailey's. How come you, how come you didn't make me one? There's. I was drinking hot cocoa <laughs> and Bailey's. Oh, 
So let me start this over again. So ostensibly, any operating system that supports TCP IP can be used to develop a client for Flex radio systems. There appear to be many efforts underway to develop a native Linux client for Flex radio using the available API, but no actual clients have yet been released to our knowledge. And I actually wrote that story. That's a story that I wrote. So the source is me. Yay. There's typos. I fixed it. And now you fixed yeah, it. I yeah, I fixed it. That's, that's what the Etherpad <laughs> is all about, fixing stuff on the fly. Anyway, yeah, this is very cool. I found out when I was actually at the local ham fest, the Ors Ham Fest, about a month ago, that Flex Radio had released Smart SDR, which is their API that is, you know, basically for any platform. They've they've already had a .NET and Object C and stuff like that available, uh, but now any, you know, once you get the API. You can develop a client for Flex Radio for any platform, uh, as long as it supports a TCP/IP st- <laughs> TCP stack. So this is good news because that was been sort of a barrier for a lot of people into the Flex Radio because it used to be Windows only. Now that's no longer the case. So good on you, Flex Radio, for finally opening up and uh, letting a- everybody get in. And uh, with you know, with luck, before too long, there will actually be some legitimate clients out there for Linux. For those of us who, A, run Linux, and B, can afford $6,000 radios. Pete, 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 Pete. Sorry, I was, I was muted. Yeah. You were muted. <laughs> Amazing. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't do that at least once of or course. 500 times. times yeah. You did it on purpose this time. Right. Now I've seen an idiot. <laughs> All right. That is has been recorded for posterity. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, first All right. production batch of FreeDB SM1000s now shipping. Yes, they're back. The SM1000 allows you to run FreeDB without a PC on any radio. Uh, just plug it into your SSB or FM radio, and you now have Digital Voice, also known as DV. You don't have to buy a new radio to run Digital Voice. It's based on the uh, STM 32F4 microcontroller has a built-in microphone, speaker amplifier, speaker, and transformer isolated interfaces. Oh, sorry, and transformer isolated interface to your radio, of course. It's just 80 by 100 millimeters. For those of you who aren't comfortable with metric, well, that's 8 by 10 centimeters. And can be held in your hand. <laughs> and can be held in your hand. Here's uh, just like a regular PTT. Uh, 8 to 10 centimeters is roughly, what, uh, 4 by 5 inches, maybe? Three 20, by four 25 inches. millimeters is an end. Yeah, it's about well, there you go. So all right, three and a quarter by four inches. Uh, can be held in your hand and used like a regular PTT microphone, or it can sit on your bench and work with your favorite headset. The uh, SM1000 was developed by our good friend David Rowe, VK5DGR class guy, and Rick Barnich, KA8BMA. Uh, it's being manufactured, tested, and shipped by our good friend Edwin at. I guess that's Dra- Dragino, Dragino, uh, in uh, Shenzhen, China. The SM1000 is completely open, hardware and software, including the Codec 2 vocoder. That's a good uh, piece of news right there. You're encouraged to modify the software and hardware. Uh, if it's possible to reprogram the SM1000 for other applications, such as speech processing for SSB radio, using open source GCC tools. 
The uh, rig audio and PTD connections are your standard 3.5 millimeter audio socket. That's your standard uh, uh, MP3 plug or headphone plug, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, audio socket in parallel with an RJ45. A uh, small patch panel can be used to configure the RJ45 pinout for your radio. Because as we know, not all radios that use RJ45 have the uh, same pinout. You need to supply suitable audio cables, uh, example, uh, 35 millimeter or RJ45 to your radio. Uh, easy enough to make if you're a little bit of a do-it-yourselfer or easy enough to buy, too, if you're not into that. The SM1000 operates from uh, 8 to uh, 16 volts, uh, 12 volt nominal, so that makes it uh, usable in your shack for most of us. Uh, uses approximately 200 milliwatts of power, so uh, very, very uh, energy efficient. Uh, perfect for mobile or soda work, uh, which is very cool. It also has a USB port for firmware updates uh, from a Windows, Boo, or a Linux PC. Yay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Uh, the SM1000 supports analog pass-through, uh, so you can make SSB contacts without having to swap microphones. Press the mode button, and it's DV. One more press, and you're back to SSB, just like magic. It's easy to set up. A LED, uh, an LED or a LED indicates microphone level clipping on transmit and errors on receive. Uh, levels to and from your radio and mic game are set using trim pots. Cost is $195 plus roughly $6.53 shipping direct from Chinese manufacturer to the United States. So, uh, yeah, shipping is uh, dirt cheap. Uh, the unit, you know, it's a little bit of a cost, but uh, definitely a lot less expensive than uh, getting your own uh, digital rig for sure. Yep, absolutely. And the link to where you can order that for U.S. customers and for customers abroad will be in the show notes. And you can go to www.rotel, which is Romeo Oscar Whiskey Echo Tango Echo Lima dot com to find out everything you ever wanted to know about the SM1000, about Codec 2, and about free DV, uh, which is something we are actually talking a lot about on this show, but for good reason. And yeah. I also saw today in a mailing list post that I got that there is a YouTube video of the very first known mobile free DV contact guy with a headset driving a car in apparently australia talking to someone i believe in florida uh using free dv over hf is and that on david rose website it is not it is on okay. youtube oh on youtube okay maybe yeah. we should tell david yes yeah. for those of you who are regular listeners uh probably remember david rowe being a uh, guest of ours a few episodes back uh talking about codec 2 and all kinds of cool projects yep so uh, the link to that YouTube video will also be in the show notes, so you can check that out. It's a short one. It's like six minutes long, I believe, and uh, it was kind of cool to watch. Uh, people driving down the road in Australia talking to Florida with nice, clear Codec 2 encoded digital voice. That's the cool thing about digital. It's just like talking on the phone. Yep. Uh, the, co the compression on Codec 2 is really high, so it's kind of got that robot esque quality to it it's not quite like a cell phone but it's close and it's getting better all the time i mean uh david and uh, his colleagues are doing uh refinements on codec 2 every day yeah but that's the beauty of it it's uh you know the encoding it's huge encoding and but i mean it's it's just it goes through not anything but you know it's very efficient yes absolutely 
with that, I have uh, one last thing. This actually, this last story in our Linux and the Hamshack segment was originally a bit of feedback that turned into a short topic that I needed to address. The comment was from Johnny, uh, November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo, Johnny Kinsey, N4JK. And he asked uh, in a comment on episode number 144, Hey, Russ, so I have been catching up on your episodes, and I have to ask, you have been looking for a contest logger. Now, I have never worked a contest before, but what is wrong with programs like Xlog and FLDigi? What are they missing? Which uh, struck me as an interesting question, because we always kind of have uh, a split. And in my mind, there certainly is a split between a logger and a contest logger. So I thought I would address this question and define for me what the difference between the two actually is and why something like Xlog and FLDigi don't really stand up as contest loggers as opposed to general purpose loggers. So the bullet points that I wrote down here are that a contest logger, and and I did this in the context of what a contest logger should have that a normal logger does not have, a quick entry, in other words, you only have one or two or possibly three data fields that you need to enter in order to actually log a contact. If you're doing a regular QSO, you're probably going to be entering a lot more information. You may be doing even call sign lookups using a call sign database, entering grid square information or address information and a lot of other stuff like that. Whereas in a contest, you're probably only logging a serial number, a signal report, or even just a grid square or something along those lines. Something very simple along with the call sign, and that's all you're logging. And then the contest logger keeps track of your band and mode. Now, normal loggers do that as well, but they are not necessarily set up for quick logging, where you just enter... A call sign, a bit of data, hit enter, and you're on to the next. So a contest logger has to be fast, has to be efficient. Uh, a contest logger also does score and bonus calculations, so that if you're in a contest, the idea of being in a contest is that you are getting some sort of score. You're getting scores, you're getting bonuses, multipliers, something like that, based on your station operation and the operation of the stations you're contacting. The logger will take into consideration those bits of information and calculate a score for you. Normal loggers like Xlog and FLDigi and CQRLog do not necessarily do that. Networking is a big part of contest logging, but it does not exist in all contest loggers. Now, what I mean by networking is you are able to have multiple stations, either remotely or on the same site, logging to a single database so you have one central repository of information keeping track of all of the information that is being logged whether it's by one station or more than one station again not all contest loggers have that not all regulars loggers have that but i believe it's something that a good contest logger should be able to do portability is good in other words a logger that runs on a lightweight interface, is able to be put on a computer that has limited resources, can be used in the field, something that doesn't necessarily support a graphical environment, 
or even a large screen. A good contest logger should be able to be used in, for example, an iota or soda situation or some other contest that might require utilization where you only have battery power, remote locations, or other deployments. It should have instantaneous automatic duplicate checking because in most contests you cannot work the same station on the same band with the same mode and get credit for it. So when you enter a call sign on a certain band and mode, it should automatically let you know and reject duplicate entries. Most regular loggers will do that, but it's a secondary function that you have to invoke in order to have it do it, whereas a contest logger just does it by default. The logger should be standalone. It should only be a logger. It should not be in conjunction with some other piece of software, like Ham Radio Deluxe or FL Digi, which also does the digital mode communication or anything else. It should just be a small, fast, lightweight logging application. And finally, a good one should also provide you with a printable or exportable list of your contacts with the score, bonus, and multiplier calculations so that you can submit it to the regulatory body who's taking care of tabulating the scores and posting the results for easy calculation on your part and easy calculation on their part. Those, to me, are the differences between what a typical logger that you use on a daily basis and what a contest logger should have as differences. Anybody else think of anything else? Cheryl, I know you don't really do a lot of contest logging or logging of any sort. So no, yeah, I don't look at it. No, yeah, I, don't. <laughs> I log stuff, but not in this. this <laughs> not in the ham radio sense. Yeah, right. no, I use a spreadsheet. I'm good with that. So right. Yeah, and that could work too. I mean, there's differences, but at the same time, if what you're using works for you, there's no right or wrong. If you're using a spreadsheet, or if you're using, uh, you know, Ham Radio Deluxe or N1MM for those of you who use Windows, or a piece of paper and and a pen, if it works for you, that's good. Of course, the um, advantages of the contest loggers is just they're just more efficient at checking duplicates and things like that. But uh, you know. People have been using other things that seem to work for them, and you know maybe they like the extra work or they don't mind or whatever. Uh, so if it works for you, then then that's good. Like you said, it's not to say that you can't use XLog or CQR log or YFK log or any of the other loggers as a contest logger. It's just that if you are actually involved in a contest, and particularly where you are at the core of a big pileup of stations, you don't want something kludgy and hard to use and slow to no. enter. To well, but if you know it, if you know it well, it's yeah. not hard to use and it's quick for you. Perhaps it is, but some yeah, most contest loggers really, they make entry so efficient. And even the best of the standard loggers are not as efficient as a good contest logger. I agree. So. And if you're a diehard contester, you know, you want to maximize the amount of contacts that you can make in the time that you have. And it makes sense to use these lightweight, ultra-efficient, um, you know, contest loggers. Plus, the contest loggers uh, that are respectable, they'll update, you know, the bigger contests that the rules and regulations and point systems and, uh, you know. Um, but even the best contest loggers, you know, they won't have all of the uh, contests in their database, but you know, that would be pretty much impossible anyways. Right. So anyway, that's, those are my thoughts. Uh, and those are our thoughts. 
So uh, if anybody has any other thoughts on the difference between a good contest logger and a good general purpose logger, we would certainly love to hear them, and you're always welcome to send feedback to the show. We love our feedback. All right, with that, we are done with our segments, and we're going to move on to the music. So, Cheryl, since you were the one who chose the music for tonight, the very first opportunity you've had to pick music for the show, you should uh, introduce it for us. Okay. I found this band on Jamendo earlier today, and they're from literally our backyard. Tulsa's about 150 miles away, so that was another plus for them. Russ doesn't like it, though, so, you know. Yeah, it didn't exactly blow my hair back, but I will say... That the Bugcast, which is a show I've mentioned on this show before, and I listen to with some regularity, they play tracks by the Bourgeois actually quite often. Yeah, they actually have some good stuff. I listen to some of their stuff. Anyway, the name of the song is Be Your Own Machine from the album The Bourgeois, and the name of the band is The Bourgeois. So we'll take a listen to this, and we'll be back in a little bit with some more of our show.
Hey, that's the bourgeois with Be Your Own Machine, which, again, didn't blow my hair back because it's a little too punky for me, and I'm not really into punk, but, you know. It's a little punky, but it's also a little bit grungy, and I, know, I liked it. It was rocking, uh, had a good beat. Well, we knew you were going to like it before we played the song because you said you were going to like it. So, didn't matter what See, kind of crap we played, you were going to like it. I was going to like it. That's I just right. figured I'd like it because you don't like it. That's right. I know. And we don't like the same kind of music. Well, every once in a while we find one we hit on, but yeah, yeah, I know. I I enjoyed that. That was good. Good good rocking tune. Yep, it was definitely a good fast upbeat tune. No question about that. It just was not my you know favorite, but it's okay. It's a good song. So uh, if you want to check out the Bourgeois, they do have a lot of good music. The uh, Like I said, the Bugcast plays them quite a bit. So uh, check them out. It's worth worth taking a look at. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is announcements and feedback. And I don't have any actual announcements for the show, so we'll run through some feedback real quick. Uh, we got a comment on episode number 143 from Paul, Kilo Echo 5, Whiskey Mike Alpha, K5WMA. And Paul said, your comments on LXLE were timely. I bought a Lenovo T61 on eBay, ordered power supply, hard drive, and cover, battery, and my budget is still under $100. It's hard to believe he actually ordered all of that stuff separately and still spent less than 100 bucks. but that's pretty good. Well, the good. T61 is a dinosaur. Yeah, well, there you go. He says, I loaded LXLE and like it so far. My old Dell B130 laptop is running Zubuntu but have not used LXLE enough to have a preference between these distributions. Both are light on the resources and would be a good replacement for Windows XP. Well, that goes without saying. Well, of course. That's right. That's what we are here, and that's what we are about. But uh, uh, that being said, the 61, so I, I run a bunch of Lenovo's at work. Um, we're just uh, in the process of replacing, because we for the government, we keep things a very long time. We're just in the process of replacing a whole bunch of uh, T60s, T61s. Um, and I think I had a T30 that was replaced. With XP, I mean, they're ridiculously slow. You can't do anything. But they would be perfect machines to uh, throw on, um, you know, whatever Linux distribution you feel uh, works best for you. I mean, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't throw Mint on there because that's a little bit heavy. But anything light would be and would make a great little machine. I mean, I'd have to agree. And I'm glad that Paul's having uh, uh, that uh, that kind of success with it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to hear he's having that kind of success as well. And I'm glad to find that he found all of those parts on eBay, not from the sellers who do the thing where they sell batteries for 99 cents with $22 shipping. Uh, no, but they're pretty easy to find because it's Lenovo product. It's, it's you know, ex-IBM. Right. Uh, there's so many of them out there that this stuff is, I would imagine, very, very easy to find. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, all right, Paul, glad to hear it. And I hope you uh, continue to like LXLE going forward. And I'm glad it's working for you on your uh, old dinosaur T61. (laughs) (laughs) I also got an email from Marco, India Zulu 3 Golf Mike Echo. Now, there's a call sign we don't hear a lot. Uh, IZ3GME, he is, of course, from Italy. Uh, And he wrote me to say, I'm writing to let you know that you have been cited. Uh Uh-oh, I've been cited. In my recent Preso, which is uh, Italian, of course, for presentation, at the Florence Hamfest in Florence, Italy, you can see the slides at, and there's a URL for that, which will be in the show notes. Uh, it says 73 day IZ3GME Marco. 
very cool. That is very cool. And I did check out the slides uh, from the presentation. <laughs> He's not bashing us, is he? No, he no. is not bashing us. Although you do have to know a little bit of Italian because the entire presentation is in Italian. So. Well, no, no. The last page of, you know, as he named off where he got his information from. Right. That is all in English. That is all in English, yes. But the yeah. entire presentation up to that point is in Italian. Oh, very so. cool. Uh, oh, but, so people are actually citing us. That's almost scary. I know. Well, it's it's actually not the first time we have been cited in presentations. In fact, there was one that was mentioned either in the last episode or the one before that where we were cited in a presentation done in Washington State. And then I know of one at least uh, before that uh, in another U.S. ham fest. So we are often being mentioned in context of uh, Linux and the ham shack. So that's excellent. Yeah. Well, actually, at... Um Little ham fest that's uh, that happens here just uh, <laughs> south of the border in uh, Burlington, Vermont. One of my friends was uh, mentioning a whole bunch of stuff that he was uh, that he was doing with rig control and uh, a little bit of Raspberry Pi stuff. And he, I was sitting in the audience, and he pointed at his, at his good friend Pete, who helps him a lot, and uh, mentioned that I was a host uh, of Linux in a ham fest. <laughs> That was a good thing, too. I probably mentioned that last year, too. Oh, you but, might have, but it's no problem mentioning it again. So. No, no, there's not. Uh, good friend uh, John Grow, yep. uh, who is a ham radio operator and all-around good guy. Okay, as all ham radio operators <laughs> are. That's right. <laughs> We're course. all all-around good guys and gals. So on from our being cited in a presentation in Italy from IZ3GME, we move on to a comment on episode number 141, this one from Johnny again, and for J-E-K. Uh, he says, I found an easy way to add hamqth.com to your Firefox search bar. Uh, cool. Just use this add-on, and of course the link to the add-on will be in the show notes. It's called uh, Add to Search Bar. Uh, it is nice to be able to look up call signs from your search bar, and I think what this does is once you uh, install the add-on, you can go to any page, and if there is a call sign on it, you can right-click on the call sign and select lookup in hamqth.com, and it will do the lookup right there in a pop-up window. That is awesome, and yeah. I'm doing that. That's very cool. <laughs> and no, Pete no, goes right now to do that. See, by default, no, I am, because by default, I just kind of, whenever I have a call sign to look up, I default to HamQTH now. I don't use the other service that uh, we don't mention too often. <laughs> and uh, But every time I just, you know, Google, then Google HamQTH, and then click on HamQTH, and it'll just save me a few clicks every time. So yep. thank you for that. I uh, appreciate the link, and I would definitely, I definitely will be using that starting tomorrow. All right, that's very cool. So you've got one current convert already. Didn't take and I've long. I just erased it from the etherpad. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell did I manage that? There it is. There it's it is. Okay, yeah. Stop screwing with stuff. Yeah, uh, luck- luckily, we can reverse. But I obviously did control X. <laughs> yeah. All righty then. So anyway, that's about it for our contest. So now we're to the best part of the show. Yay! Yay! <laughs> you always you you speak with such modesty, but honestly, you know. People just listen to the show for this. So. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because I get so much information from this. That's right. And I'll tell you, the people in the chat room are like cheering and clapping, and they're going to tell you how great it is to hear about Sherry's Recipe Corner. So let's Yay. hear it. Yeah. Well, All you know right. what? Everybody, every ham radio operator, every Linux user, everybody who listens to the show, everybody who doesn't, I can guarantee you, they eat. I. That's very yeah, true. Yeah, Russ I bet does they do. eat, but Russ does not cook. 
Well, it doesn't matter if he doesn't cook. I'm just saying our listeners well, eat. Okay. And therefore, this is a good segment. Gotcha. You I can see. see see the chat room. They're clapping and cheering right now. They, they nice. <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it, too. It's distant, but it's there. It's there, yeah. It's just above the noise floor, but it's there. Whatever. You they are the noise floor. <laughs> All righty, then. So... As a child, I hated peppers. I I will just get that out right now. Um, But as I have gotten older, I have discovered that peppers are pretty good. And today, this is not a recipe I have fixed yet, but I found this. I was like, ooh, I got to try this. The recipe is for breakfast stuffed peppers. And I have recently discovered a love for green peppers, sauteed green peppers and omelets. And this is a perfect combination because you take some peppers and you put some scrambled eggs and some bacon or sausage and, you know, onions and mushrooms and whatever else you're going to throw in there and you call it breakfast. You know, the recipe is some, some bell peppers, whether, you know, whatever color you want, uh, bacon or sausage, eggs, milk, salt, pepper, uh, some veggies, various veggies and some cheese. Um, and what you do is you cook your peppers uh, for a little while in some water to soften them up and then dump your eggs and stuff that you've been cooking while those have been, you know, baking on top of them and poof, you have breakfast. So I definitely want to try this. Although Russ is not a big fan of stuffed peppers. So not exactly sure what we're going to do about this. (laughs) Just make them for yourself and let them make toast. (laughs) No, we had uh, Huevos French. No, not Huevos Rancheros. What was it? The... Or was it? No. What was what? the thing we had at the Mexican restaurant that I never tried before? But it's it's the stuffed pepper chili relleno. That's it. The right, chili yeah, relleno. Yeah. yeah, and that's basically a stuffed pepper, and I love that. So. Well, but it's it's not a bell pepper, and that's what these use. Well, it's a poblano pepper, which for crying out loud, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a green pepper. It, it'll All be right. exactly the same thing. I bet I'll love this. Okay. Green peppers are sweet. So yeah, I grew up hating peppers. Well, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. As a child, I was a picky eater. Yeah, and I, I was didn't too. like peppers, and my mom always used to try to get me to eat peppers. And I didn't want to because they were a vegetable. One day, I tried a pepper when I was like 14. I finally tried them. I'm like, oh my God, these are the best things ever. Like they're nice <laughs> and sweet and crunchy, yep. and they're just they're awesome. Cheryl has this thing that I don't like green peppers, which is not true. You will not eat them on Philly cheesesteaks, and that is the epitome of a green pepper. No, that is the worst thing. Green peppers are good in omelets. Oh, yeah. I love green peppers on everything. I love them in salad. I love green Yeah, like Denver omelets with, uh, you know, the ham and the green peppers and onions and stuff like that. I love it. That's not a Denver omelet. That's a Western omelet. That's a Western omelet. Whatever. Okay. Denver is not in the West. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, it kind of is. (laughs) Oh, wait. Maybe it is. I was thinking of Chicago for some warped reason. (laughs) The only thing I do not eat green pepper on is a Philly cheesesteak because, to me, a Philly cheesesteak is ruined by green peppers. No. I just don't want them on there. No. Mushrooms, onions, peppers requirement for Philly cheesesteak. Oh, no, it's so nasty because all you taste... No, all you taste is green pepper. I want to taste the steak and the cheese and the onion and the mushrooms because, you know... And to me, the Uh, green peppers just take away from that. I'm going to go further with this recipe. Yes. And dare that you try. You said that you had to boil the peppers to soften it. Yeah. I would not. I would just throw it in the oven. It'll keep a little bit of a crunch. Right. uh, But it'll it'll soften anyways. The egg will cook nicely inside. Right. That that would just be my personal choice. I don't like things that are boiled. They just end up being limp. 
So we have some work to do on food, and we'll uh, follow up in a future episode. But with that being said, we have our donations, subscriptions, and social media roundup to get to. So we should probably go ahead and do that. This time for donations and su- subscriptions, excuse me, we have Steve Conklin, Jeremy Hall, and Scott Pettigrew, who did the monthly thing. On Facebook, we have Michael Connolly and Bill Vodal that has joined us. On Google Plus, we have David Krim, Charlie, which is KB3ZVN, Tim Clark, Jeremy Bakke, uh, Andrea Teresa Bachinger, and Jonathan Wiltberger. Uh, on Twitter, we have EA1TX, Dave Bims, 7H3 underscore L3G3ND, SM7WNM, Clay Rhodes, KK7XX1, Alan Shamel, and ThoughtBuzz. On YouTube, we have Econ Loha and Corey Klumper. And nobody joined the mailing list and nobody bought it. Yeah, pretty much the way it goes for those last two. Yeah. yeah, We got to have them in there. So I believe we are down to the end of the show. Another show is in the can. Yay! Where it belongs. Anyway, uh, and a very efficient one it was, I might add. I think it went rather well. Yeah. Well, it's not midnight here. <laughs> no, it's that's we, true. It's only nine thirty. Amazing was, how well that. Yeah, went. and we started no at eight twenty-five. Uh, so it's very smooth. Yep. All right. It almost went professionally tonight. So the chat room is quiet, and with that, I guess I should press the button, start the outro music, and we'll uh, roll on for this episode. So there it is. There's music playing, and. Uh, that means we're getting on out of here. Uh, you can become an LHS ambassador. You can visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent us, Linux in the Ham Shack, at a nearby Linux and or Ham Fest. Uh, you know, you can also email us at ambassadors at lhspodcast.info if you're interested in that. You can leave us voicemail feedback at one nine oh nine LHS show. That's one nine oh nine five four seven seven four six nine. Our IRC channel is pound sign LHS podcast, and we're on the free node network. Go ahead and subscribe to our mailing list. It's low bandwidth, and we send out information that's relevant to you and other listeners of the show about where we might be showing up, contests we're having and other things that are of interest to our listeners. You can also buy merchandise for the show from cafepress.com slash lhspodcast or printfection.com slash lhspodcast. You can also help out our show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. Uh, We welcome donations. You can also subscribe for subscriber-only content. Our regular podcasts are available for free, but you get bonus stuff for a little bit of money every month or a little bit less even for a year. So check that out. And all of the information you ever want to know about the show is at lhspodcast.info. Listen live to us every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday at 0200 Zulu Time, UTC. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode is on the website. So thank you to all our listeners, past, present, and future. We appreciate every one of you. So for me, Russ, K5TUX in Southwest Missouri, sitting across the desk from Cheryl, who like, waves by and s- says, <laughs> smiles nicely. And for Pete, 
who's probably muted. Waving and smiling. Yes. Nope, waving and smiling. <laughs> all right, waving and smiling. V2XPL up in Montreal, Canada. Uh, we appreciate all of you, and we will see you in a couple weeks' time with episode number 148. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. We'll see you soon.